Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. when certain things are going to rise up. It's episode 298 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I say that because, I mean, there's there was a lot going on with the first with the initial launch of Disney Plus, right? You had The Mandalorian. You, you know, there were all these movies that you hadn't seen in a while that were up there, and maybe you decided to revisit some of the classic animation from Disney or catch up on some stuff that you didn't see in theaters. So maybe there's some things that you might have missed over the holidays and one of those things is Marvel Rising which is on Disney Plus right now the specials some of the movies that were put out there and when I was at WonderCon this past year I got to talk to the cast of Marvel Rising's Heart of Iron but never actually put those interviews out on the podcast and then in the best of show you heard one of those moments I decided to include from Milana Vintrube and then I just got started getting, you know, people sending me messages saying, hey, you know, we want to hear the rest of these now. You heard that one. How about the rest of them? So I decided, you know, by popular demand, yes, here we go. You, maybe you're seeing it for the first time on Disney Plus. Or you're wondering what should be, you, you should be checking out on Disney Plus. Here are my interviews with the ca- voice cast of Marvel Rising's Heart of Iron this week. Decided to just go ahead and... And do that. So you can hear those a little bit later on. I'm going to be talking about the Deathstroke animated series on CWC. And give my spoiler-filled review of that. Also have another amazing offer for you from Mac Weldon this week, sponsoring the show. I'll tell you about that here coming up. But let's start things off with some comics and a very important Batman book this week. Next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. My name is uh, Liam Sharp. I draw Wonder Woman. I co-founded Mayfire. And I'm a dear and close friend of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Whether you're flipping through pages or PDFs, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And it's time for a brand new era for the Batman. That is right, Batman number 86 from DC Comics. And it is James Tynan IV taking over the writing duties. Tony S. Daniel, who's no stranger to Batman, on the pencils. Danny Miki as well on the inks. Tomeo Mori on the colors. And Clinton Cowles. On the letters. First, I just want to thank James Tynan, by the way, for putting the correct pronunciation of his last name on Twitter. I happen to catch that, and I'm like, I, and the way I've been saying it is the way I heard another comic book creator say it, and I'm not going to name names. So I've just pr- been pronouncing it that way because of that. And I was saying Tynan the entire time until somebody else corrected me, and it turns out they were wrong. So I feel better about myself, and I thank James for that. So now I can move on with my life. Anyway, I, again, these are spoiler-free reviews, and I really want to try and do the best I can with this. And one thing I really love about this book right off the bat is it's Bruce Wayne's vision of Gotham, or for Gotham, that we're going to see going forward. And this definitely, and spoiler alert if you're not caught up on Batman, by the way, but this very much seems to be happening now because of Alfred's death. And maybe a change in perspective from Bruce. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's going to remain to be seen 
in this in this whole n- new era, this new story. And there's actually a heartbreaking moment towards the end of this book that was just, I mean, it really hit me hard. And if you're if you're a huge Batman fan, it's going to hit you hard too. So I'm just going to warn you about that right now in advance. It's really quick and it's very subtle, but it's very very powerful. But that. That just goes to show you with James Tynan's writing, that's the kind of stuff that we can expect from the story. So it, just these amazing moments, even if they're really quick. Now, there's a really cool new vehicle, too, that debuts in this issue. And I mean, this thing is going to be next level. I hope we see a lot more of it. I don't really want to say anything about it more than that, just because I want you to see it and experience it if you haven't read the book yet, because... My goodness, this is, it's almost like a, a combination of different things. I mean, it's almost like something you something that would have come out of Star Wars or something. It's, it's pretty incredible, to be honest. And, and if Batman's going to have this at his disposal now, look out. That's all I got to say. Now, I do love that we, do, that we have a very familiar villain that we see pop up. In this story, always good for a great fight scene too, which is which uh, which is always nice. But it's really interesting because it's something that happens with Catwoman that kind of appear in a certain scene in this book that I think is going to drive what's going to be the story going forward. So, and you know, with their relationship being what it is now, it's interesting to see that something from her world could now affect Gotham at large and Bruce's world as well, not the other way around. So I think that's really, really interesting. And, and again, doing, being spoiler-free here, I'm really looking forward to seeing what that's going to be. And I know that James Tynan promised something new for us, and I, I'm curious to see if this is that something new that we're going to see in future issues. Should be no surprise here that the art is just out of this world awesome. I mean, Tony S. Daniel and Danny Meeky, certainly no strangers to the Batman but I, I got to tell you, anytime you can get them on a Batman book, do it. Uh, if I remember correctly, Tony S. Daniel did some Deathstroke books too in the past. So that's really that. That's one of the things that I've always loved his art for as well. Just basically anything these two guys do is gold as far as I'm concerned. So, I mean, you want to keep them on the Batman books. I mean, I, I, there's so many great artists. And if you're drawing Batman, you're doing something right. As far as I'm concerned, this is a pull for me. I never for one second doubted that James Tynion IV would do a great job for this. I mean, his run on Detective Comics was amazing. I mean, he worked on Batman Eternal, Batman and Robin Eternal, if I remember correctly. This this guy's familiar with Batman enough that you knew he was going to do an amazing job. And this was no surprise to me at all. This next book, though, really puts a different perspective, a different spin on things. It's the clock number one. From Top Cow in Image Comics, that is Matt Hawkins doing the writing there, Colleen Duran on the art. They also co-created the series together. Brian Valenza on the colors and Trey Pittery on the letters. Now, the story actually deals with a new form of cancer. Now, as you read this book, or at least this is what happened to me anymore, and learn more about this, this is the kind of thing that will haunt you in your nightmares. Like, seriously, this is some scary, scary stuff that's going on here with this new form of cancer. And a man named Jack's actually determined to get to the bottom of this and trying to help get help from the government as well. He's going to all these different places, trying to do as much research and, and take as much many samples as he can. That's you know what you do when you're in the, in the position that he's in. He's really especially motivated to find out what's happening, what's going on too, but I can't tell you why. Again, spoiler free. This is 
I mean, it's, this is a big one for him. He's also trying to balance a family life. It's going to be especially difficult right now trying to, you know, because we're talking about this deadly form of cancer and, you know, you, that demands a lot of attention, but so does his family as well. So he needs to try and find that balance and that struggle is something that we see, you know, addressed in this book. I will say that the last page, though, to me, really feels like the beginning of the story here. There, there's certainly plenty of groundwork that we see get laid in this story, but we, I think that this story really begins when this first issue ends, and that's where the intrigue comes in. Certainly, you know as you're reading that there's, that there's more to this than meets the eyes. As a matter of fact, there, there's something very subtle that happens on one of his research trips. I kind of feel like could be the key to this mystery or one of the big keys to the the mystery, or I'm just reading way too much into this. It's something that somebody give it's something's given to Jack that much. I could tell you. And I'm wondering if that has something to do with, with this whole story. So, and again, I can't, I don't really want to give away what it is or anything like that, but I'm curious to see if that has a big impact on the story, which is just, it's haunting and personal. It's really just, I don't want to say creepy because it's uncomfortable in, at times because of this. I mean, if, if odds are your life's been touched by cancer at some point, imagine if that cancer became almost, I see, I can't tell, I can't say the word that I want to say because it's a spoiler. So I won't say that. Let's just say that if, if, if the cancer, if cancer became even more common than it is now, just think about how scary that would be. And that's how scary this book really is. And that very much plays out in the art as well, how personal this book is. Really helps drive home the emotion because, I mean, you could get this written on a page and would still be a good story. But what Colleen Durant does is so beautifully, visually depicts the seriousness and the emotion that's going on in this story that it really takes it to the level than it needs to be. So again, this is another pull for me. Put this one in the pull box. Batman number 86 and the clock number one as well. I would give I would give Batman, I'd probably give it a five out of five, and I would give the clock four and a half out of five if we're going number wise. I'm gonna change the ratings up a little bit here in 2020, make it a little bit more obvious for you. Because I know it's been a it's been a little bit it's been a little bit confusing at times over the years. So I'm gonna try and make it a little bit more obvious now as we go. That's gonna do it for what we're reading. Up next gonna be talking about the new Deathstroke animated series on CWC, Deathstroke Knights and Dragons, with some spoilers next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Josh Gates from Expedition Unknown, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You want to give Deathstroke his own series? I am all here for that. And CWC has done just that with Deathstroke Knights and Dragons, the animated series, which has premiered its first installment. I don't want to say first episode because it really doesn't feel like a series. It feels like more like more like a movie that's being released in a series of parts. I'll get to the structure here in a couple minutes because I know that there was the issue with the Constantine animated series that I had that we didn't know was going to be an issue, and I'll talk about that here in a few minutes. But let's actually talk about the story here. A lot of spoilers ahead, so just be ready for that if you haven't had a chance to watch the first installment. Now, we get to see both sides of Slade Wilson here. is voiced by Michael Chiklis. We We get to see the family man, Slade Wilson, which is interesting. We get to see the... Deathstroke that we know, the assassin. Now, we also get to see that he's been lying to his family 
for a long, long time about what he does. And I will say there's a scene here where Slade comes home after his son Joseph has been abducted by Hive and his... I'm I'm guessing wife. I'm I'm thinking that they're probably married. It, it's never really actually like confirmed. I don't think that they're married, but let's just go with that. Adeline, who's voiced by Sasha Alexander, confronts him, and I got to tell you, it was so raw and intense and emotional. It was kind of in that moment when I realized that this wasn't just going to be a hardcore action type of animation. The, the experience that we were going to get here, there, there is there's a depth of story here that has always been there with the Deathstroke character. You think Deathstroke, and all you think is, oh, this is you know he's he's an assassin, and there's going to be some great fight scenes and some brutal stuff, and that's what you're going to get. But there's so much more to Slade Wilson and Deathstroke than just that. So I'm glad that when I saw that, I was like, okay, so we're really going to dig deep here, and we also know that his family is a part of this as well. And it's really all about the Deathstroke family and how, I mean, we get to see how Jericho becomes Jericho in the first place, which is really, really interesting, or at least this version of it. It's also good to see Hive back in the mix as well, finally. I mean, I feel like Hive is is a group, or, or, or a group, of, a villain group that probably should be getting more love, whether it be in the movies or in the live action series because Hive is a huge part of so many DC stories and they're and they're and they're so it's exactly how it's described it's like they're everywhere they never go away even in, even in this animated even in this animated story it seems like you know Hive is done there's one point where you know, it looks like Slade is pretty much shut down Hive they're over and then comes to find out no the Hive Queens had them laying and hiding for a long, long time, and now they're back, and they don't want Slade anymore. They pretty much want Slade to be done with, that's for sure, and that's in part due to the Hive Queen, who we find out, hello, is Slade's daughter. Yeah, so that's right. So you've got the sister who's running Hive, and you've got Joseph slash Jericho, who's Jericho now, and his sister is running the show. So they're they're together, and they want nothing more than to just be rid of of Slade, or do they? That's the thing that we won't know for sure right away. Although the way that basically Slade gets gunned down, we know he doesn't die. Okay, that not much we know. Well, the way he gets gunned down in this, at the basically at the hands of Jericho, was pretty intense and pretty emotional. Especially when you when you see you know Slade mouths the he says Joseph and then he falls off the cliff there. That was like whoa, you don't get to see Slade in that context. Very often. So that was a really, really nice twist, I thought, in this first installment. I mean, it's it's extremely well animated and very much an adult animated series, which I'm glad that they decided to go for. I'm glad they decided to, to, to not just try to make it less intense. I, I This is exactly what it needed to be. And I'm not surprised because we've got Sam Register involved here and Sam really knows what he's doing and he knows exactly how to present these characters in the way that they need to be presented. So when you see Sam Register's name attached to a project like this, that gave me a lot of confidence right off the bat. And it also made me think, you know, this is a CWC project, but it's it's also Warner Brothers Animation and and Warner Brothers Entertainment. So it's not like we're talking just, you know, small potatoes here, something that's on CWC. This was going to be a product that Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment was going to put out and be proud of, regardless 
of where it was going to go. But it's probably the best thing CW Seed's ever done in animation. And I and I say that knowing that Vixen was done very, very well. I'm just hoping they can stick with this one and be more consistent with the release schedule because that's what was what happened with Constantine City of Demons, right? Which was... They had a really good first installment. It, it it ended in kind of a weird way. And then all of a sudden it was just gone forever. And then they ended up releasing it as a home release on on Blu-ray and DVD and you know, you finally got the end of the story and that was and that's fine and that was great. But at the same time, it, it's like CWC had the opportunity to present this in full and they just never for whatever reason followed through with it. So you had a really nice opening bit and then after that nothing so I'm really hoping that doesn't happen with Deathstroke Knights and Dragons because this was such a good first installment and there's such a great story to tell here and you know it's not even kind of over so I'm hoping that I'm not saying that they've got to release one every week or whatever I just hope that they have some sort of consistent release schedule for this so you know that you don't get one piece of it and then three or four months later, you're going, okay, where's the rest of it? That's the only thing I'm hoping does not happen here because, now granted, this one, at least this one was like 30 minutes long. At least I'll say that. It was, it was, it was one installment. It was 30, a little bit over 30 minutes long, actually. So we got, you know, we got a good chunk of it. We got, we got a good bit of the story, but you could tell that after 30, 30, 35 minutes, this thing's not even kind of over. It's really, you could say that it was just beginning because, you know, we still have to find out what Adeline's got up her sleeve because you know that she's got something up her sleeve because Slade went by himself. We need to know more about the Hive Queen. We need to know more about what Hive was doing while they were dormant or what or, or appeared to be dormant, what the relationship's really like between Jericho and Jade, his sister, the Hive Queen. So, and by the way, Faye Mata does such a great job as the Hive Queen in such a short amount of time. Just insanely well done. There's just so much, so many great things about this Deathstroke Knights and Dragons series. Hopefully you get a chance to check it out on CWC, either on the website or on the app. It is definitely worth your time, and I cannot wait for more. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast brought to you once again by Mac Weldon. And why do I keep talking about Mac Weldon so much? Because basically it's better than what you're wearing right now. They put a premium on quality menswear that is just, it just feels incredible when you put it on. And there's a lot of practicality in it too. Like, as a matter of fact, when I got the Radius Pant from Mack Weldon, one of the things I loved about it is when you're traveling, not only does it, it feel good, it looks good, it's very comfortable, but one of the things that I love about it, it's th- they're zip pockets. So, you know, when you're putting your wallet away and stuff, when you're traveling, your phone, stuff's not going to fall out of your pockets or anything like that. You're, you, you know, it's going to decrease the possibility that somebody's going to swipe the stuff out of your pockets while you're in the airport. It's just one of those things where it adds peace of mind, but it also makes you look pretty darn good in the process, too. And, I mean, when you're talking about the underwear, right? I mean, that's a, that's someplace you definitely want to be comfortable, you want to feel good, but you want to know that, you know, you've got a little bit of protection there. So when you're talking about the silver boxer briefs, which I have, it has that silver technology. So, you know, you can wear them all day, no matter what you're doing. And, you know, you're going to be a little less pungent 
if you know, if you know what I mean. So if you want to get your hands on some Mac Weldon, make sure you go to MacWeldon.com and enter promo code NERDY for 20% off your first order of stuff that will make you look so good and you'll feel good doing it as well. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code NERDY for some premium quality menswear from Mac Weldon. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the first installment of Deathstroke Knights and Dragons from CW Seed. Up next, yeah, there's some nerd news to talk about. Speaking about DC to the MCU, we'll talk about Christian Bale next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Ray Chase, the voice of Noctis in Final Fantasy XV, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. When the MCU turns into MCU later, it's time for nerd news. And another director is out of a Marvel Studios movie. And this coming from Variety saying that Scott Derrickson is out as director of Doctor Strange 2 Masters of the Multiverse due to, yeah, you guessed it, creative differences. Now, there was a statement released by Marvel. This is legit. Scott Derrickson also released a statement on Twitter saying he would remain on as executive producer. But, I mean, it kind of feels like he's out, doesn't it? I mean, there's 70 executive producers on movies like this, and, you know, it doesn't really mean a lot to remain on as an executive producer in in certain aspects. So, that that to me just says some of his vision will be in this in this movie, but not a lot of it, not the the main crux of it. And I mean, this feels like an important movie for the future of the MCU, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of, I don't want to say introducing the multiverse, but it kind of is, isn't it? It seems like that's the direction that they want to go now, starting with Phase 4. Now, the reason I say that is, and, and Kevin Feige seems to, every time he it, it pops up, it seems like he's talking about how important this movie is going to be. Now, correct me if I'm wrong there. I feel like I've seen this in a couple of different places now, but here's the quote that really stands out to me and why maybe we should have seen this coming. And it was from Derrickson in Hall H this past year at San Diego Comic-Con. And he, and he said, and I quote, if I'm going to do it, has to go into the territory that drew me into Doctor Strange comics in the first place, which is how they dipped into the gothic and horror and the horrific. And we're going to make the first scary MCU film. Now, Kevin Feige also said something along the lines of, yeah, there's been other movies that have had scary moments in them, but they're not necessarily a horror movie or a scary movie, and that there would be some scary elements in Doctor Strange. I think what he's trying to say is is that, Scott Derrickson, if you wanted to make a horror movie, that's not happening. And it seemed like Scott Derrickson wanted to do that. Kevin Feige said, no, 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 no. This isn't just some standalone movie now. There's more important things at play here. We need to do something different. And that's kind of where they decided to part ways. Now, this is not expected to delay production or anything like that. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, this isn't the first time that Marvel's had problems with directors. I mean, the Ant-Man debacle seemed like they went through several directors before they ended up finding their guy, but I don't know. There's just something about this one in particular that, that says, especially now that Kevin Feige's in complete control, he always was kind of the, the man for the Marvel Studios movies, but now that there's a complete control aspect here, it just seems like a lot of things are being changed. And I, I guess only time will tell if that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. And I guess part of that is which director 
they're going to get. But also, you got you got to understand too: are they getting a director that's just going to go with the vision that they want to go with, or are they going to go with a visionary director? So that's that's the thing that you need to try and figure out, and that's why. It feels like Marvel has their formula, and they don't want to stray from that. And it's hard to blame them, right? Because they've certainly been hugely successful, at least at the box office anyway, with what they've done so far. So why would you necessarily want to go away from that? Well, maybe the reason you might want to take a few risks and go away from that is because, you know, you've had that, you know, that moment with Avengers Endgame. Where it felt like a great ending to the story that you've told so far. And now you have to break new ground and kind of almost, I don't want to say start over because we're still going to see some of the characters that we saw from those first three phases. But at the same time, it feels like this is a starting point once again for the MCU. And how do you do that? Do you do that by, you know, towing the line or do you do that by taking a risk? Because it feels like the start of this whole thing was taking a risk with Iron Man and now not necessarily taking that risk by maybe doing what Scott Derrickson wanted to do with this Doctor Strange movie. Maybe that's the thing that they need to be doing more of and not less of. But again, only, only time will tell. And it, and it totally depends on who they get as the next director. But if they're using this as sort of a tentpole movie to introduce the multiverse, maybe they're valuing that more than they are telling a Doctor Strange story. And that probably is not fair to the character. But again, only time will tell because there's no really way, no way to really know for sure exactly how this is going to play out until we see it. It just seems like the, it's it's an interesting perspective for me to take. I'm curious to see what you think of it. That's not the only Marvel movie news, though, that we had this week. And that is Collider reporting that Christian Bale is in talks to join Thor Love and Thunder. Now, right now, this is just rumors as of me recording the segment of this podcast. Just rumors right now. Nothing is concrete, and I know that, you know, Twitter exploded and said it better be Beta Ray Bill, and I know that there's been plenty of love for the character, and this is a character that has a cult following. Fans want this character in a Thor movie sooner rather than later, and I'm not saying that they're wrong, okay, but I'm not sure. I don't know that this is the right role for Christian Bale necessarily, but this is kind of all up to Christian Bale. I mean, he had the Dark Knight trilogy and basically kind of decided that, you know, he, he had a chance to make another movie and they were kind of and everybody sort of kind of agreed that they were done, that this was a good way to end it. And he wanted to go out on that note. And it's not like Christian Bale needs the money, not just because of these Batman movies, but because everything he's in seems to do pretty well at the box office and make money. And he's, you know, a, a constant presence at awards season, too, if that's something that matters to him and the, and the certain things that he gets to do. And when you sign on for these comic book movie projects, especially with Marvel and even DC, you want to, you want to take it that way. This is sometimes there are multiple movie commitments, depending on the character that you're talking, character that you're talking about. So a character like Beta Ray Bill might only be around for one movie that might work for Christian Bale. But I know other fans have said, wouldn't it be great if Christian Bale played Dr. Doom? And I'm not disagreeing with that. I think Christian Bale would be a terrific Doctor Doom. But at the same time, how much of a commitment does Christian Bale want to make? You're not just going to have Doctor Doom for one movie, okay? This is a character that we're going to see in multiple movies. We know that the character is coming at some point. It might be in this phase. So we know that Doctor Doom is going to be a big part 
of Marvel Studios' future. Now, you could say that, you know, Thanos was a huge part of it. We saw that little teaser of him at the end of Avengers and then didn't see him again until Infinity War and Endgame. And that was two movies, and Josh Brolin certainly was able to do that. So maybe you're thinking the same thing for Doctor Doom. And that's not, you know, that's not a ridiculous thing to think. But if your long-term goal is to have Doctor Doom be your next Thanos-like character, you're going to get somebody like Christian Bale. Do you introduce that character in Thor Love and Thunder? I don't know. I'm not sure that there's a perfect movie in this slate to introduce Doctor Doom in. Maybe this would be a good one. But I don't know. It seems like a Black Panther 2 might be a better place to introduce Doctor Doom or or one of the other movies on the slate. I'm not sure Thor Love and Thunder is the way to go here. But again, it all depends on what kind of a commitment Christian Bale wants to make to being in another comic book movie because, quite frankly, that seems like it would be a pretty big one. So I don't know that that's something that he's going to be willing to do or it's only time will tell. I'll have to wait and see on that one as well. We do not have to wait to find out how the Arrowverse shows are going to fare in the future on the CW or anything else for that matter because basically this week, the CW just renewed absolutely everything. The entire Arrowverse, all five shows, yes, I'm including Black Lightning when I say Arrowverse only because, I mean, hey, he's in the crossover now. So, and we'll see how things shake out in crisis to see if everybody's on one earth now. But, you know, all the DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Flash, we also had Supergirl, Black Lightning, it, they've all been renewed. Okay, they're, they're all coming back. Supergirl's coming back. They're all coming back. Riverdale's coming back. Charm is coming back, and that's the one that kind of surprised me. Because I kind of thought that even though they've certainly changed things up in Season 2, I wasn't, I'm not sure if it was enough to keep this show around, if there was enough of a fan base to keep the show around. So, and we know there's certain shows that are ending, like The 100 is ending, Arrow's ending, so those are shows that obviously weren't included in part of this. And there was no mention of Green Arrow and the Canaries or the Superman and Lois pilots that are supposedly going to be happening. So I don't know if those are mid-season or if those aren't necessarily considered happening for next season or if those are going to go into pilot season and when they're going to announce new shows. Although, again, I'm not sure when the CW is going to have time for anything new, brand new, to be be airing. I'm just just saying it seems like they're running a little short on time. But it's, it's funny because the CW is definitely taking the approach of, well, these shows are working the way we want them to work, and why why cancel something when it's working? So we're just going to bring everything back. I mean, there's certainly, I mean, not a lot of risk there, but they, the CW is also not a network that needs to introduce a ton of new shows all the time, like an NBC or an ABC or CBS, which seems to debut a, a several new shows every season, whether it be fall or mid-season. The CW just doesn't do that. They're very deliberate in the projects that they choose. And I think that's one of the reasons that they've been successful and stuck around as long as they have, because they're not just, you know, renewing every little, they're not just, you know, throwing new shows out there and canceling shows before their time is done. So, I mean, I think you got to give them a lot of credit for that. And again, flash going into its seventh season. That's to me is a show that probably won't end after season eight, like arrow did the flash could go on, for a while, as could Supergirl. It's one of those things where as long as the rating's good and as long as the CW is willing to shell out the money, why not keep going with these series? And I'm curious to see what happens with Stargirl as well because we have that whole CW and 
DC Universe release schedule going on there. So that's another one to keep an eye on. Before we move on, I want to talk about this Lock and Key trailer for a second from Netflix. The show's going to be coming out on February the 7th based on the best-selling graphic novels, of course, from Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez from IDW. And I got to tell you that this this show definitely, well, while it has in the, in the trailer, definitely gives you a little bit of a creepy vibe. To me, it is definitely more of an intriguing vibe. And this is whether you've read these graphic novels or not. If you weren't intrigued by watching this trailer, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, family goes to old family house called Key House, finds a bunch of keys that unlock these crazy, magical, mystical doors to to realms or or other sorts of things. And, you know, curiosity gets you in certain those certain situations, right, where you, you know, find a key. It's weird. You open the door and suddenly something very strange and possibly wonderful or terrifying is behind it. And then it's, this is all kind of connected to their father and their family's legacy and their past. And the past seems like it's a big part of what the story is going to be as well. But this this series really is, to to use a horrible pun because I like to do that, opens the door to a world of possibilities in storytelling, whether you're remaining completely true to the graphic novel or not. Now you know why these books were so successful if you never read them before because the the intrigue here is off the charts in the ability to really tell this story and have a lot of story to tell is there. So not at all surprised that Netflix decided to grab this series with both hands and run with it because, first of all, it looks beautiful. Just a little bit that you see, it looks absolutely stunning. So that alone should be a reason for you to want to check it out right there. But I'm not sure that this is going to creep too much into the the horror realm. I mean, I'm sure there's going to certainly be some scary parts about it, but it doesn't give you that scary horror vibe. It gives you more of this this thrilling, intense vibe of, you know, just curiosity for me anyway. So this is one of those shows that I've been looking forward to being adapted for a while now. And just based on this first full trailer alone, I don't think this one is going to disappoint. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what IDW and Netflix have in store for us with Lock and Key on February the 7th. That's going to do it for Nerd News up next. Yep, by popular demand, I am finally releasing my interviews for Marvel Rising's Heart of Iron. It's up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Hale Appleman from The Magicians, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Let's face it, basically from Thanksgiving all the way through the new year, I mean, it's like a blur, right? You're so busy, maybe there's some stuff that you missed. Well, if you got Disney+, Plus and you've been exploring all the things on there, maybe you missed Marvel Rising, which is a great young adult animated series of movies, and they've had some specials, and I actually got to talk to some of the cast of Marvel's Heart of Iron at WonderCon this past year. Haven't released the interviews yet. Decided that maybe you're looking for stuff to watch on Disney+. Plus. We'll talk about that right now. So how about let's go ahead and start with the voice of the Patriot himself, Camille McFadden. And the first question for him was, it feels like, you know, Squirrel Girl has a little bit of a crush on him. How does Patriot feel about that? I feel like Patriot knows, but he is not the type to come out and say it. So it's something about Squirrel Girl 
that just kind of makes him open up and be free. She, you know, tells jokes and stuff like that, which he's not really used to, which kind of kind of keeps him off balance a little bit, but also is like, oh, I like that you kind of get me out of my shell a little bit. So I think, I think as the seasons go on, he'll be more uh, open to seeing what that, uh, that, that, what is behind that door. <laughs> Next question was, what do you feel like that common bond is between Ironheart and the Patriot? Ironheart and uh, Patriot, they connect on that lone wolf mentality. Um, she is very uh, reliant on Amy, her AI system. He's reliant on himself, so he sees quite a bit of himself in her in that. So I think that's kind of an easy way to get her to open up a little more is because they have some common ground and I think as you watch as you watch the special you see them kind of grow and her get a little more comfortable with everybody because she sees that he came from that mentality and that he's more open now. My question for Camille McFadden was do we think that we might see Patriot be a little less by the book than we'd first seen him in Marvel Rising? Speaking of him coming out of his shell a little bit, we saw earlier on he was very by the book at mm -hmm. first and he became more comfortable not doing that. Is he going to maybe take a little bit more risks? Uh, yes, I, I believe he will um, just, just because of how you know, we work as humans and characters. Uh, once you change, you don't really revert back often. Um, but he still keeps that um, by the book. It's just, it's always situational. So how much, I think now it's about degrees. So to what degree am I going to break the rules, you know? Um, so I think he is also getting more comfortable in that and with his team having his back, Daisy, uh, the leader having his back, I think he's more open to taking those risks because even if it doesn't pan out the way that he would like, he still has somebody who's going to take up for him and take the heat for him. So, yeah. Next up to talk about Marvel Rising Heart of Iron was Kathleen Kavari, who is the voice of Miss Marvel herself. First question for her was, how do you prepare to voice Kamala, and do you feel like you share any personality traits with her? Kamala is very enthusiastic, as am I. She's very, she's much more comfortable showing her enthusiasm than I am, uh, which I love about her, and I think that's what makes her so um, endearing and lovable. That that she is so ready and willing to be a, a superhero. Um, and she's also just a very compassionate person. And I think for me it's Im important to, to bring that compassion forward because it's what makes her so... It makes you want to be her friend. Um, you want a friend like Kamala, you know? You kind of want someone who's understanding and, and, and sees the best in you and, and wants the best for you. So, um, I mean, I try to be that way. <laughs> so hopefully I, I share some of those traits. But, you know, I mean, I, I relate to Kamala in so many ways, being first-generation American and, and having parents from, from the Middle East um, and, you know, parents from Muslim backgrounds. Uh, and trying to toe the line between these two cultures. So, and also, she, you know, she's got a love for Jersey City. I have a love for Oakland, where I'm from. And there, there's so many parallels between Kamala and myself that it's very easy for me to relate to her and to understand where she's coming from. So, they've made my job really easy in that sense. Yeah. <laughs>
My question for Catherine Gavari was, now that they're a team, how comfortable is Kamala in her role on the team? Now that they're kind of officially, unofficially a team together now, how comfortable is she in her role, in, her role in the team now that they're kind of more official now than they were in the last time? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I don't think she's fully comfortable yet. I think it's still, everything's just so new still. And um, the dynamic, they're, they're still trying to figure that dynamic out between one another. And there's still so much doubt. And also, it's Captain Marvel that right. she's trying to right. impress. And I don't think that's ever going to be uh, something that she's going to be fully confident in. Because it's just such a high order. Um, but, you know, they're all figuring it out. And they're figuring it out together, which is better than figuring it out alone. Um, so it's, it's a fun dynamic to watch. Next up was Milana Vintrue, who you heard on our Best of Show, the voice of Squirrel Girl. And the first question for her was, how much did you actually know about squirrels going into the role, and did you do any research? I love this answer. I actually didn't find this from research. I found this from a Sarah Silverman sketch, but, or, or a stand-up bit. Do you know what I'm about to say? Yeah. That, <laughs> she, that she's like... <laughs> Well, basically, squirrels hide nuts, right? We all know that, that they'll collect their food and hide it. And the astonishing sad fact is that then they forget where they hide them. <laughs> Which is like, what a waste of time and resources. <laughs> the only thing I really knew about squirrels, besides them being like really cute, is that they bark. And I know this because I have a dog that barks at squirrels, yep. and the squirrel will climb up to the tree to the point where like the dog can't reach it anymore and bark back. Yep. <laughs> Terrifying. I've never seen that. I've oh, seen, it's like I've a seen that. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's not it's a, a sweet. Movie. It's oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> you can't reach me. Yeah. Next question for Milana was: Were you a fan of the comics before voicing Squirrel Girl? I did read. I did read the comics mainly because I love comedy, and uh, there aren't a lot of really hilarious. I think more and more people are using comedy, not not even just in their comics, but like in uh, their movies. You know, like I think um, the Avengers films and the Gal uh, Guardians of the Galaxy films and Iron Man, obviously, really are super successful because they're very funny. I'm biased, I'm a comedian, but um, that's why I was drawn to Squirrel Girl way before any of this. I just wanted to read a funny book. Now, I will tell you that things got a little bit serious after that, so leave it to me to bring back the lighter side of the room here. And I asked if she got to do any ad-libbing at all, maybe some squirrel-related puns, perhaps? Did you get to ad-lib any squirrel-related puns? In this Thank one? you for making that so much less serious. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. It's so fun. Well, we have a great director who lets us play a lot, and we get to be so serious. So, so goofy and so serious. Final member of the cast to stop by was Sophia Wiley, who plays Ironheart Riri Williams herself. The first question up for her was, how much do you love the dynamic between Riri and Squirrel Girl, and how do you think she'll eventually get along with the rest of the team? Yeah, I definitely have loved the dynamic between Riri and Squirrel Girl. Um, Squirrel Girl is just such a welcoming and excited character, and so she wants everybody to feel included. Um, and Riri is definitely that person who 
who kind of feels on the outside a lot, and that's because of of losses in her life and just dynamics that she's had before. Um, so I think through Squirrel Girl and finding out that she has friends through these characters um, will really help her with all the other characters too. Even though she hasn't shown those connections yet um, on screen, I think I think she'll really loosen up to everybody as a whole. So after that, I actually get to ask Sophia Wiley a couple of different questions. The first one was, you know, Riri's character really hasn't been seen much outside of the comics. So what did she hope to bring to the role for the fans? And then the next one after that was, is it is being a part of a team really something that she needs right now? We haven't really seen a lot of Riri outside of the comics, so what are you hoping to help introduce fans to her as far as her characters? Yeah, well that was one of the most exciting parts for me, was being able to bring Riri to life for the first time through animation. Um, of course, she's had such an amazing fan base mm -hmm. through the comics, so I was like, okay, I need, to, I need to bring justice to them because they, they, they've supported her, and I wanted to make sure that they still love her just as much or even more through the animation. Um, so just bringing her her sass and her confidence and all of that and her, her strength and intelligence um, I, I think is really who she is as a whole. And also showing that arc of her creating new friendships um, I think is a really fun thing for all of the Riri lovers out there to see. Do you think being part of a team is something she just really needs in her life right now? Yes, I, I think through everybody's lives, especially since she's 15 years old, she's at this college with all of these people who are way older than her, and I, I can relate to that feeling of feeling like I, I'm too young, I, I don't deserve to be here, but you always do, no matter your age. And she's she's out here killing it at the age of 15, and I'm 15 now, and I'm like, why am I not like Riri? <laughs> but I mean, it, it's okay, because um, she inspires me to know that I can do anything at my age now. Um, I just started a production company, which was a big step for me. Um, and it's been told a lot that at a young age, go, let the adults talk, and let the adults make, make these amazing things Things. But if if the consumers are mostly teenagers, why can't it be made by a teenager? Why can't I be my own boss at the age of 15 as a young colored girl in this industry? And so um, I think, yeah, everybody will be able to really relate to Riri and understand that no matter her age, she can do anything and so can I. The final question for Sophia Wiley was a very, very interesting one, and that is that Riri can kind of come across as guarded or even disconnected at times. So how do you find that balance with the character in her interactions in this Marvel Rising Heart of Iron? I, I think I was actually talking to um, one of my castmates about this. You have to find a way to... To, to not be affected by people and, and what they do either if it's because if, if you go out and you're having a great night with your friends and that affects you so much even if it's a positive way when it's negative that's going to affect you too I think you have to realize that people are going through everything and they are having their own lives um, and that that cannot always affect you personally you need to understand that that not everything is about you and that is okay but also you need to try your best to affect other people in a positive way as well um, and, and that's what I always try to do every day no matter how people are treating me I just try to affect them in a way that makes them feel happy and impact them in a positive way um, and I think that's a part of Riri that she doesn't understand at first when she's feeling this cold kind of disconnection with somebody else I think she gives that back um, so a big lesson that I think people can learn from her is to always be kind and always try to 
put yourself out there no matter what. One of the things you should know about Marvel Rising in general in that it's just not only is it fun and you get to see a bunch of characters that you don't really get to see in live action, but let's face it, you should be seeing in live action. There's some great messages embedded in this as well, and it's not shoved in your face, but they are certainly there, and especially it's something that if you're watching this with your kids or you're encouraging your kids to watch a certain something and you want to get them into the Marvel Universe, this is a great way to get that start because you get that camaraderie, you get that team dynamic, but you also get those individual lessons as well, and you still get a ton of fun on top of all of that. So if you haven't gotten a chance to check it out on Disney Plus yet, Marvel Rising Heart of Iron, and there's a bunch of other specials up there as well, I definitely recommend that. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to, and I'm glad that you encouraged me to do that, to release these interviews for Marvel Rising Heart of Iron, because I didn't get a chance to do that before, and I thought now would be the perfect time that they've hit Disney Plus to just kind of give you an idea of, oh, maybe I should go ahead and check this out, because it might be something really, really fun, not just for young adults, but for for adults as well. I think any adult would enjoy these Marvel Rising specials. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the folks at Marvel Entertainment for allowing me to be a part of Marvel Rising and those interviews. Make sure you're checking out downandnerdypodcast.com because there are also videos of those interviews that are up there as well that you can find. Also, make sure you're going to macweldon.com, entering promo code NERDY and getting 20% off of your first order of some top-quality premium menswear. You definitely won't be sorry that you did that. Find us on social media as well, facebook.com slash downandnerdy, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram. But remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.